Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. So Simon comes up to uh, speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your powerful words. The sword of the Spirit, as we've just been told. Lord, we pray that it would shape us. That through it, uh, you would speak into our hearts, our souls, our whole lives. And empowered by it, you would change us to be made more in your image and therefore to serve the world which you have made and so love. Amen. Great. Well, it is a total treat to be with you guys this morning. Um, Before I kick off... Um, it wasn't relevant for the little people, but if you did want to grab a daily devotional, come out to Christmas, Christmas present, send me back lighter. I'll be through there with books afterwards. Uh, it's called Choose Life. This evening, I'm going to be talking on Choose Life. Do come along again. It'll be looking at the key themes um, that I've basically learned from 20 years in Burundi in terms of which I'm not going to be addressing this morning. So completely different sermon, very relevant. Are we going to choose to live by faith or by fear? That's a biggie in a country that is shackled by fear? Are we going to choose urgency or apathy? Living in a war zone where expected to die, you, you couldn't live apathetically. Yet we are, many of us are living extremely apathetically over here. Are we going to choose cynicism or action? It's so easy to have that default cynicism when we are called to act, act action that's born out of hope. So that's the sort of thing I'll be addressing tonight. Do come along, spread the word. We'd love to have a full, full house here this evening. So that, that's a daily devotional. If you want to grab that, we'll choose life. And then my sort of spiritual DNA, if you like, is, is in this book, which is called More Than Conquerors, which is, you know, basically how far is too far when Jesus went that far for us on the cross? And he didn't go that far for us to be nice people in Croydon. I hope you don't think that's what the gospel is, the message is. It's about all of us, wherever we are, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. What's that? By the way, I'm not on a recruiting drive for Burundi. Seriously, I don't want any of you to come to Burundi. They've got so many high-caliber troops out there. They don't really need us. They might need a few areas of help, but basically they're on fire. And the, by the way, to encourage you, more people came to Jesus yesterday than ever any day in the history of humanity. So I want to say that to encourage us, because in this country, it's like we're on the back foot a bit. Whereas, you know, we Africans, we are so gospel confident. We know, we're not arrogant, but we know that this, this is the power of God for salvation. And uh, so be encouraged, and hopefully this message will encourage you. So I'm not in a recruiting drive from Burundi, and, and I'm not after your money. I've been looking at your mission partners, so keep supporting them in, uh, in Egypt and Tanzania and Uganda and France and uh, Tanzania, wherever else you're involved. Brilliant. And as you sow to the nations, there is a sort of divine blessing in that, which I don't think we really understand. But it's good to be part of the worldwide body. And it's helpful for outside voices to come in, because sometimes we do live in a... The Croydon bubble. I now live in the Bath bubble. And Bath bubble, if I can say it, it's probably nice in the Croydon bubble. bubble. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but, you know, 
Outside voices are really helpful to, to prick that and show a bigger worldview, a bigger perspective. So I'm not after your money. I'm not in a recruiting drive for Burundi, but I am still alive because people pray. I have no doubt. I've driven along the road once, 40 people got killed. I got through. So wherever I go, I say, will you pray for us? So Stuart's just going to come and grab a couple of these. I've got three of them, and there's four sections. So Stuart's going to make sure he gets to the fourth section. But if it starts here... Uh, just pass it along. Um, only sign up if you want to, but you will get these crazy stories that I share that stir faith about six times a year, and it means that we are more prayed for. And our work is so stunningly fruitful because it's birth in prayer. So that's a bit of preamble. Now, I'm glad that you have stayed in because um, I trust that the Lord's going to speak to you as much as, as, as the oldest. But uh, I've called this sermon Battle Stations. Okay, Battle Stations. And I'm not going to look at verses 21 to 24, which is basically the sort of the end, the right at the end of the letter where Paul just mentions that he's sending Tychicus along, uh, his mate, to give them an update. And then he closes with grace and peace, which is how he started the letter. Those are bookends of, of the letter. You've been looking at, in your series, at Ephesians in general. And this is the last chapter. And let me start with this line from, from John Piper. He said, until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. And the, the lesson was beautifully read, but I want to just go through it again. I want us to live these scriptures, okay? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a redness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of the faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Amen? In addition to all this, take up... Sorry, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. Pray also for me, he says, doesn't he? That whenever I speak, I may, words may be given me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Okay, so straight in there, verse 10. Finally, but listen, sometimes finally it's just an, an addendum at the end. It's like, oh, I forgot to say, say to this. It, I don't think this is it at all. This is a critical part of the piece. It's last but not least. This is like a crescendo. It's building to this key reminder that will unpin, underpin verses, uh, chapters 1 to 5. And he says, so put on the, he says it twice, put on the full armor of God. Four times he says, stand or stand firm or stand your ground. So this, this is really important. Why? Because verse 12, our struggle, and I sort of was living out as I read that to you, our struggle is not just here. By the way, this is where I think that the African church and different cultures have got so much to speak to our culture in because um, they really get, in general, the, the spiritual dimension much more than us. 
You know, you don't have to convince an African in general that uh, God is real and that Satan is real because they've lived invariably in animistic cultures, maybe superficially Christianized cultures, where, where the witch doctor is very real. And they've lived in fear of that. And tonight, maybe with more time, I'll share more crazy stories of loads of witch doctors just slain by the power of God and, and then 50 people in the village coming to Christ when they burn their chants publicly. Beautiful stories like that. But our struggle is not just here. You know, if we just live in this materialistic, naturalistic plane uh, and don't, aren't aware of all that's going on, that's what verse 12 is saying, then we're going to miss so much of, of what life really is. There's so much more going on than meets the eye. Our struggle, verse 12, is not against flesh and blood here, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So I don't want to overly concentrate on Satan today, but I think it's important that we recognize that we have an enemy as followers of Jesus. And what does the Bible say about him? The Bible describes him in John 8, 44. He is the father of lies. And so when he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar. John 10.10 says, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. Revelation 12.9 talks about the primary strategy of the devil is to deceive. So it says, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And we are in a battle. Brothers and sisters in Croydon, you are in a battle. And you need to wake up if you don't recognize you are. And again, coming from the outside, I lived in a war zone where I literally listened to bombs fall and bullets being fired. And so I couldn't kid myself that I could survive with a peacetime mentality. I've been in Croydon for an hour and 37 minutes. I see loads of bombs falling over your community. Apathy. Distraction. Comfort. Materialism. And have eyes to see. Our struggles not get here. Flesh and blood. It's going on there. And if you see the enemy as a guy with a horns and a pitchfork, that comical caricature, you will not live awake and on your guard. You will not stand firm. So this is a plea. And, you know, some of you might go, as we look at this text, ease up on the militaristic language or the warfare metaphor. But actually, it's a repeated theme in Scripture. So in 2 Chronicles uh, 10 verse 4, Paul says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So battle stations is this morning's title of the talk. We need to gear up for battle, brothers and sisters here in Croydon. We need to put on the full armor of God. We need to be strong in his power so that we can take our stand against the devil's scheme. Four times stand, 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 stand firm. And we don't need to be afraid, by the way. I love memory verses. 1 John 4, 4. The one who is in you is what? Greater than the one who is in the world. James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee. So we don't need to be afraid. And I've got, again, lots of stories of casting out demons. and Well, I don't even believe in demons. Believe in demons. They are reality. But we don't need to be afraid. We really don't need to be afraid. We resist the devil. He flees. We stand. We stand. And how do we stand? First of all, we stand with the belt of truth. Let's just go through these briefly. But he talks about put on the, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, once I was preaching with a, obviously a cheap and nasty belt in Africa, and I was, I was getting like, a bit excited, and my belt broke. And that was a nightmare preaching with my pants falling down. You don't want your pants to be falling down when you're preaching. Because, you know, 
It's got an important role, a belt, hasn't it? Truth is really important. We're in a culture that's very post-truth or your truth or my truth or whatever, fake news. And Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the truth, the life, John 14, verse 6. So we need to stand in the truth. We need to live the truth. We need to share the truth. Okay, that's the belt of truth. And the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness? A lovely verse in 2 Chronicles, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It's a real gospel verse. It says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That unbelievable divine exchange. Jesus on the cross became sin for us, so that in him we become the righteousness of God. So you put that breastplate of righteousness in place. It's not your righteousness, it's his righteousness. But it means that no matter what you've done in your life, there's no more shame, there's no more filth, there's no more guilt, there's no more condemnation. This is a great message, isn't it, that we've got. We've been picked out the toilet, grace style. And on the cross, he's cleaned us off and he, he validates you this morning. and He commissions you to live for him. And then it says, put on your, you have your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In the last month, I've had a chance to sort of share Jesus in a very meaningful way with, with two ladies who've, who've hugged me afterwards. And, and uh, one, annoyingly, I just had to get off the train before praying with her to receive Christ. Her name was Amanda. She was totally there. Another one was Laura in the park as our dogs got a bit friendly with each other, and I had to yank mine off. But I literally, I, 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 I led her to the Lord. These, these, these feet are beautiful when we bring good news. And Laura's like, that was incredible. Thank you so much, Simon. Encountering Jesus on a walk, on a train, all of us. You can be part of this. If you're hungry, if you pray, Lord, give me an opportunity this week to share this message with someone else. Our feet are called to go five yards across the office floor. 20 yards across the street. People, people are crying out without necessarily realizing it, but people are lonely and, and needy and, and devoid of meaning and purpose and shackled by fear. And we're not any better than them, but we are better off because we, we're free from fear and, and purposelessness and the need to conform. And all those, the gospel is such good news. So get your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And then in verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We are being attacked the whole time. Again, you might not be able to see them, but if you're married, Satan is so desperate and so intent on destroying your marriage. And he's having a field day in this culture, which is just basically bombarding us with darts, lies, saying that uh, marriage isn't important, the family unit isn't important. That's what our culture is saying to us. He wants you kids just to... So he, he, he wants you just to listen to all the lies of your culture that define you on such shallow criterion as what you, what you wear or what you're watching. Or There's so much rubbish, and we need to be aware. We need to get that, sh- that, that shield of faith up. And some of you have seen you know, Hollywood-style movies, and, and they're helpful. That Those, those Roman shields, were, they, they basically they, they lined up perfectly next to each other. So these crazy, rampant barbarians were charging at them and, and, and shooting those flaming arrows. And, but they were, they were so united. They were all together like that, and then the guy behind was like that. So they were like, those, those, those flaming arrows couldn't touch them. And actually, eventually, if someone did die, then the next person would step forward, and it was a complete, perfect unit. They were the best fighters, working in total unity. It's a, it's a powerful picture. Keep your shield of faith up there. And then the helmet of salvation. I used to get around in Burundi on a motorbike. And 
Anyone working with A&E will tell you it's about you know, the horrific injuries of people being knocked off their motorbikes. But, but you know, if, if you don't wear a helmet, you are done. You need that helmet of salvation. It is literally a lifesaver. And then, of course, the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. It's the one offensive weapon, isn't it? And it's important. Again, you parents, or you know, if you've got nephews and nieces, I, I, I teach the next generation the Word of God. May they know the Scripture. Because we need it. It's the offensive weapon. It helps us to stand firm. You might be discouraged today. You might think, uh, I don't know how I'm going to get through the month. How am I going to pay the bills? But if you know Philippians 4, 4 verse 19, my God will meet all your wants. No, all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. You can stand on that word. I've had to stand on that word. Everyone else might be abandoning you. You can stand on Hebrews 13, verse 5, God says, I will, verse 8, actually, I will never, no, verse 5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You're doubting his faithfulness, which all of us will be at time. You can claim 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. All right, let me be really vulnerable here. Um, sometimes, yeah, it's a risk. I just want to be real because we face real issues, but I'm, I'm in... I'm in Thailand, and I'm in a bar, uh, flying back from Cambodia, where, where I was doing some ministry stuff. And I'm in a bar, and I'm suddenly thinking, there's no person in the world right now who knows why I am. And there's a beautiful Australian sun-kissed girl over there, and I'm going to have sex with her. And then I remember 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you, except what is common to man. And God is faithful when you are being tempted to provide a way out so that you can endure it. That is the sword of the Spirit. That is protection and offense, isn't it? And loads of people stumble in all sorts of different ways. And if you know the word of God, you will stand firm. At the moment, I'm working, I'm learning the book of Philippians off by heart. It, it's not, I'm not saying that to impress you. It's like, I want the word of God in me to dwell in me richly because I know that it's strong. There's power in it by the Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit. How are you doing on that one? Let's, 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 let's stand on the word. Let's memorize it. Let's have it there as a weapon. Let's use it. Let's wield it. And then there's a new paragraph, but there's not a break. It's not like we've done the, 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 um, the, 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 the armor of God, because this is crucial, the next bit. Verse 18, look down there. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, of which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I will declare it fearlessly as I should. And prayer is crucial. But listen, I don't want you guys to be discouraged about prayer. That's the last thing we need. You know, when I hear, you know, some of the great saints like Martin Luther said, I've got such a busy day today that I need to spend the first three hours in prayer. I'm like, that is so discouraging to me. That doesn't encourage me at all. It's like, I just feel I'm such a loser, uh, you know, before I even start. But Smith Wigglesworth said, I've, I've never prayed for more than half an hour in a row, but I've never gone more than half an hour without praying. And what I do as a life discipline is basically I get out in the morning and I, if you like, I put Jesus goggles on, which is that basically from the get-go, and even when I go to bed, I'm committing the night to the, to the Lord, so that even in his, I could have dreams about him. He could teach me in, in the dreams. But I wake up and I consciously, Lord, every 
every conversation, every step today, I'm seeing through your lenses. Everyone I'm speaking to, Lord, give me an encouraging word for them, whatever. Give me discernment in this or that situation. So basically, we're always in communion with him. But common scriptures on prayer, Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, calls on the believers to pray continually. Here we've got pray in the spirit on all equations with all kinds of prayers and requests. This is a serious business. But you see, until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. I was in the jungle once at a mission station, first night there. And during the night, I woke up. This oppressive, dark, black force envelops me. And I was scared. And I said, in Jesus' name, be gone. And the next morning, the, the missionaries there said, did you sleep well last night? No one sleeps well on their first night. There's so much witchcraft directed at the base, they need to be praying. I'd spent six months working for the Salvation Army in, in Hamburg. I studied French and German at university. And, and uh, you know, it was the most evil street in Europe, probably. The Reeperbahn, red light district. Horrific evil. And yet it was a tourist attraction. So people were just seeing sex as tourism. is so wrong. And... Um, We'd be doing street evangelism, and I'd, we'd talk to people, and, and it'd be fine. And then suddenly you'd mention Jesus, and there'd be just manifestations, demons within them, manifesting very angrily, aggressively. I got punched, spat at, kicked, all sorts. It was fascinating, because our struggle's not against flesh and blood. But it's against the rulers, authorities, powers, and the dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But it's just different in Croydon, isn't it? Because maybe we don't see that as much, or... Maybe we're not as awake to it, the spiritual dimension of what's going on. John Piper, again, he's great with words sometimes. He says, he he highlights the critical issue as follows. He says, probably the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that we try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. But what have millions of Christians done? We have stopped believing that we are in a war. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning, just easy peace and prosperity. And what did we do with the walkie-talkie? We try to rig it up as an intercom in our houses, not to call in firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask for more comfort in the den. And most people show by their casual priorities and approaches to spiritual things that they believe we're in peace, not in wartime. In, in wartime, we're on the alert. We're armed, we're vigilant. In wartime, we spend money differently because there are more strategic ways to maximize our resources. The war effort touches everybody. We all cut back. The luxury liner becomes a troop carrier. And who considers that the casualties of this war don't merely lose an arm or an eye or an earthly life, but they lose everything, even their own soul, and enter a hell of everlasting torment. Oh, that's so heavy. And you're like, Simon, go back to Burundi. Leave us alone. But I think, no, all the more we need it because the danger is that we are living with a peacetime mentality. And in these just 18 to 20, it's just three verses, five imperatives, four of them are pray, 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 pray. And the great apostle Paul asked us twice in verse 19 and 20 to pray that he will stand firm, that he will declare it fearlessly as he should. And John needs that prayer. And your other preachers here need that prayer. And 
Those that are standing for truth need that prayer. And we need to stand as gospel people, like with that, that shield of faith, in total unity. And I'm actually quite encouraged. I mean, I, mean, I preach across all sorts of spectrum of Christianity in this nation. But recently, there's a meeting of all, all stripes of the HTB gang and the New Wine gang and the FIEC and the ELIM and conservative evangelicals coming together and having a meeting and saying, well, we're not, we're not bowing to culture. We're standing firm. The gospel, what, what, what the word says, the word says, and areas that we're all knowing the debates going on right now in the areas of human sexuality. And it's like, we love everyone, but we're standing firm on what is gospel truth. And we need to look out for each other and to be less tribal. But John needs prayer. I need prayer. We, those people that are, are mouthpieces for orthodoxy, we need to stand firm together. We need to stand for ourselves, for others, and do that in unity. I don't know if you've heard of Derek Prince, um, the late Derek Prince now, an incredible Bible teacher. But he talked of an encounter, I find this fascinating, an encounter with Satanists who were going and doing street outreach, like, like I do in Bath. I take teams out on the streets. By the way, the worst reaction I've ever had is no. Like, we're really scared about people. We don't need to be afraid. Literally, if you're respectful, the worst reaction you're going to get is no. And I've had the chance to lead loads of people to Jesus, if you're winsome and kind and respectful. So I think the biggest, the biggest thing I, when I take people out is, is to show them that it's not scary. I mean, my guys in Burundi, uh, who we have a team that reached out to Muslims, and uh, I, was, I sat with them talking on one occasion. They said, Simon, when we finished reaching out to the Muslims and packing away our things, and they are stoning us, it'd be really helpful to have a, a vehicle to make a quicker getaway. You know, that's, that's reasonable fear and concern. I think we're shackled, fear, we're scared, we're on the back foot of this country. Why be afraid? What's the worst reaction you can get if you reach out to your neighbor, your colleague? Is, Sorry, it's not for me. Oh, bless you, that's all right. Shake the tree, if the fruit's ripe, it's going to fall. If it's not ripe, leave it alone. But, um, so Derek Prince, he, he, had, he talks of this encounter with Satanists doing sort of street outreach. And, and they said they had a six-point worldwide vision for a time of darkness. That's what they're praying for, fasting for. And it was in the form of a manifesto. Fascinating. What are we praying for? Listen to what they pray for. That the, what, number one, that the Antichrist would manifest himself soon. Number two, that ministers, leaders, and missionaries would fall. Number three, that ministries and works of God that would be destroyed. Number four, that Christians would become complacent, want peace over and above all. And seek churches that don't preach the full gospel and whose pastors keep peace no matter what sin is going, taking place. Number five, that Christians will cease fasting and prayer. And number six, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit would be ignored. I find that fascinating. And that's why I'm going to take this battle seriously because we have an enemy and it's real. John Eldridge said, we are at war and the bloody battle is over our hearts. I'm astounded how few Christians see this, how little they protect their hearts. We act as though we live in a sleepy little town during peacetime. We don't. We live in a spiritual equivalent of Bosnia or Beirut or Burundi. Act like it. Watch over your heart. Don't just let anything in. Just don't let it go anywhere. What's this doing to my heart is a question that I ask in every situation. You know, was it um, Proverbs 4 verse... 23, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it's the wellspring of life. 
Above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. What's this, what's this third hour of TikTok doing to my heart, of Snapchat, of Instagram, whatever it is? Social media, some of it's okay, but I think in general, a lot of it is just... And what goes in eventually comes out. Actually, a bonus of uh, social, social media will be to show us clearly on Judgment Day that our prayerlessness wasn't because of lack of time, was it? R.A. Torrey was uh, D.L. Moody's great American evangelist from Chicago, his right-hand man. And Torrey said this, we're too busy to pray, and so we're too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversions. Much machinery, but few results. So it's a call to action, a call to recommitment this morning. To put on the full armor of God together. If we grasp the importance of prayer, it's going to undergird our very existence. It's going to act as the engine room for all our activities. Such that we won't be too busy. What's that book? Too busy not to pray. Humble ourselves. It's 2 Chronicles 7.14. Do you remember that one? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wickedness, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Oh, this land needs revival. So it needs us as a body on our knees. One of my uh, heroes is James Fraser. So anyone heard of James Fraser? Into the, uh, uh, a missionary to the Lisu in the far reaches of China inland. And uh, this is a guy that went there and he, was, he often was con- contemplating suicide on the edge of a cliff. He was so depressed and he'd be leaning over, the, over this cliff thinking, you know, I've seen no fruit. He didn't see any fruit for the first seven years of going there. He was, he was isolated and he was depressed. And thankfully, he didn't throw himself off. But he prayed and fasted. And then, and then one day, the spirit within said, okay, the battle is won. And he went back to the same village. They'd been umpteen times. And suddenly, seven family units were converted. And he went to the next village. He'd been... Dozens of times, and another four family units were converted. And literally, the next village, another two families, and there was a people movement of Lisu, those hard, resistant people that hated the gospel, totally not interested. And there's a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I love how he concluded his, his reflections, because he said, I used to think that prayer should take the first place, and teaching should take the second. I now feel that prayer should take the first place, the second place, the third place, and teaching the fourth. I was once uh, preaching in Tenderloin, which is um, in uh, San Francisco, a horrific, dingy, horrible place uh, right next to the rich district, which is a bit like in the city, isn't it? There's all, often financial centers, and then you've got the really skanky area. And the Tenderloin people, your waste is lying on the street, injecting, and it was really grim. And I was with this Chinese-American pastor called Ralph, and he was such a godly man. And we were in a... a, a Quite a fancy building, not mega fancy. It was worth a huge amount of real estate uh, terms. And I said, he told me the story of how he got it. And he said that over the years, he'd been there 20 plus years with his wife, ministering there. And he said, all the big names, you don't need to know the names, but you can imagine what those names are. The big names of Christendom had come with fanfare and we're going to do great stuff. And they lasted 18 months or two years or six months because it was so hard. And he'd been in it there 20 years. And then he said, well, how we got this building was that we knew we needed a place to, to operate. And so we, we started fasting. We had no money. And he said this. He said, on the 21st day of our fast, we got a check that just came through the post for 
On the 24th day of our fast, we got a check for $8,000. And then this Japanese man walked in with this heavy bag, and he dumped it on the table. And it was a load, it was a load of gold bullion. And the Spirit of God had said to him 20 years previously, you're to keep it for the time that I'm going to release it to someone. And he dumped it on the table and disappeared. We've never seen him again. Now, that, was, that is such a nuts story, isn't it? But what I love is that on the 24th, I've never fasted for more than seven days. I can't relate to that. Um, that is profoundly challenging to me. You know, I've done several years of theological training. A lot went in, but the only single line, line I can remember verbatim was this. How much do you want of God? Because no one has less of God than they want. How much do you want of God? Because no one has less of God than they want. And maybe, we've just got to be honest, I don't, I, don't, I don't want that much of God. But maybe that's why your life's not really working out very well. But by the way, I'm not saying that you can bargain with God and everything's going to go hunky-dory, because that's also not the gospel either. We are more than conquerors, which is verse 37 of Romans 8. But that comes after verse 35, which is, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? That was Paul's reality. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. So I'm not giving you a soft sell today at all. I'm coming to the end. But I was challenged by a, a, a Bolivian a Christian called Carlos, and he had decided to follow Jesus at great personal cost. He'd experienced alienation and antagonism from his immediate family. But slowly through the years, all his family, extended family members, also came into a living relationship with Jesus. And uh, so he was asked, what, you know, what's your secret? And he said, three times a day, year after year, I just got down on my knees and I pleaded with the Lord for all of those family members by name. Well, I've been doing that for some of my family members for 30 years. Some have come, some not yet. There's a battle going on. The God of this world has blinded people's hearts and minds to the truth. So very practically, as we come to an end, you know, what, what practically comes out of this? Please live awake. Please recognize there's more going on than meets the eye. That doesn't mean we see a demon under every stone. No, but we have an awareness. Put, put your Jesus goggles on. Live in the... Practice the presence of God. That was a, uh, a book by a, 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 cook, a kitchen worker, I think 17th century, Brother Lawrence. He just, he just saw everything through Jesus' goggles. He used a different analogy. But you know, we're in his presence, and so bring him. He's always there. And uh, you're always seeking to, to hear what he's saying by his spirit within you. Put on the full armor of God. You could pray that each day. I know friends that she, she says, my parents, every day of my life, they prayed. They put on the armor of God on my behalf. They all prayed that for me. You could, you know, I'd say, can we, can we agree just to read the Bible and pray in the morning before you look at your phone? That's so easy to do. Just read the Bible and pray before you look at your phone. Don't, don't set an unattainable goal like an hour. I mean, I think the more time you, spend, time you spend with the Lord, the more you want to spend time with the Lord. For me, my discipline is six to seven in the morning with a dog, walking, praying, listening to God's word. No one can eat into that time. It's, you know, no one's going to phone me six to seven in the morning. That is, that is golden time. And then that kicks off my day in a good way. What does it look like to guard your heart? What are you watching? What are you feeding your soul? Take a check on that. Above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life.
Pray in the Spirit. That's interesting, isn't it, that he said pray in the Spirit. Like, what does it look like to pray in the Spirit? I know loads of times I don't pray in the Spirit. Lord, what do you mean by pray in the Spirit? John Stott, late John Stott, said what we need is not more learning, not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but what we need is more power from the Holy Spirit. I think some of us, we're good at the eloquence. We're good at the biblical knowledge. Listen, most people are way more biblically literate than they are biblically obedient. So Lord, teach me. I want to pray in the Spirit, not just words, not duty, not empty ritual, but a living, impassioned, heartfelt relationship with you. Because we know that in James 5, the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. The verse says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. I can't do the three hours in a row, but Jesus goggles. I don't, I don't have to go 30 minutes without consciously being aware of his presence. With this in mind, be alert. So wake up. Wake up, live awake, live ready. I'll close with a quote on living ready. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Have prayer lists. That helps me as I pray every day, different people. Got seven prayer lists, different people. Verse, verse 19, pray also for me. So pray for John, pray for our bishops, so many of whom are, are people-pleasing and pandering. And it's a tough gig. Who wants to be a bishop? You know, they need help anyway. But I think that, you know, culture is dictating how they're responding so much to the fear right now. And, you know, what we need is, is leaders that are unafraid, who will fearlessly, you know, he's saying it as an ambassador in chains. If you're going to follow Jesus, he didn't say it's going to be easy. In this world, you will have trouble, John 16, 33, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So let's pray for our, our leaders as well as ourselves. And then, yeah, let's pray for the persecuted church. Get Operation World. There's different groups, aren't they? But you know, on my podcast two weeks ago, I, interview, I interviewed Timothy Cho, and he's in, a, he's in North Korea in a, in a cell, and the guy is leaning on him behind, and it turns out he's leaning on him because he's dead. And overnight, he'd, you know, they couldn't, there wasn't room for them to sit down, and he died. And the persecution of our North Korean brothers and sisters, it's horrific. And he tells his story. It's a mind-blowing story. It's a news of overcoming. He is more than conquerors, but it's not an easy one. Another podcast three weeks ago was a guy called James Aladaram. Commit to the prayer meeting. I'm usually preaching on Sunday at different churches, but I am committed to the church prayer meeting because that is the engine room of power. And James Aladaram said this, and you know, it's, I think it's just provoking. He said, attendance at the Sunday morning service shows how popular the church is. Attendance at the Sunday evening service might show how popular the preacher is. Attendance at the prayer meeting shows how popular Jesus is. And then choose a few key people to pray for and with. A few people to pray for daily. You know, I've got my kids, I pray for daily. My wife, I pray for you know, a few others daily. And then, and then meet with someone regularly to pray. There's lots of practical outworking there. But until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. And so I'm going to close with this quote by Smith Wigglesworth. And he gave this challenge to Christians. I am giving this challenge to Emmanuel Croydon, corporately and individually. Live ready. If you have to get ready when the opportunity comes your way, you'll be too late. Opportunity doesn't wait, 
not even while you pray. You must not have to get ready. You must live ready at all times. Be filled with the Spirit. Be soaked with the Spirit. Be so soaked so that every thread in the fabric of your life will have the requisite, will have received the requisite rule of the Spirit. And then, when you are misused and squeezed to the wall, all that will ooze out of you will be the very nature of Christ. Well, I anticipate us being squeezed and misused in this nation. Peace, 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 prosperity. No, that's not where we're at in the history of this nation. And it's not something to be afraid of. It's something to be ready for and to remain gospel confident, but it's going to be costly. So battle stations. It's not a tender, soft message. Those have their place. I wonder how you respond to that. Let's pray. And part of that prayer, I'm going to just reread that quote and commission you, live ready, brothers and sisters, Emmanuel Croydon, live ready. If you've got to get ready, when the opportunity comes your way, you'll be too late. Opportunity doesn't wait, not even while you pray. You must not have to get ready. You must live ready at all time. Be filled with the Spirit. That is, be soaked with the Spirit. Be so soaked that every thread in the fabric of your life will have received the requisite rule of the Spirit. And then, when you are misused and squeezed to the wall, all that will ooze out of you will be the very nature of Christ. Father God, thank you that you won that victory on the cross. It is finished. Deal done, mission accomplished, bills being paid, so that we could live in our birthright by faith and not fear, and fill us afresh with a sense of gospel urgency, recognizing that there is a war, and so we do, not, we do know what prayer is for. Lord, I pray against any sense of condemnation, or guilt, or shame this morning. That's the last thing we need. May we just feel a sense of chipping along, of conviction, of encouragement, of stirring, of challenge to ramp things up by your grace to be the people you've called us to be. And we agree on that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.